Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. My dear brothers and sisters, alhamdulillah, thumma alhamdulillah, thumma alhamdulillah. We are alive in the month of Ramadan. For a lot of you, your first fast may have come to a conclusion. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept it from you. For those of us still in the West Coast, I know there's a, about an hour and a half or so till my first fast finishes. There's about an hour and a half or so till the first fast finishes. And for this year in Ramadan, I want to share with you the beautiful gift of a Shama'il al-Muhammadiyah, uh, or what is also known as the characteristics of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And it'll be our goal to uh, complete as much of it as possible with the tawfiq of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy. So to start off, I want to share two amazing resources with you in the English language. The first of them is this book over here. As you can see, this is the most recent translation that I have come across about the Shama'il Muhammadiyah. Uh, and this is translated by Sheikh Abdulaziz Saraka and Sheikh Muhammad Aslam. And it was published by the Al-Ghazali Institute. And in my personal opinion, it is the best translation that is out there, uh, at least in terms of the English language and uh, the language that is used. Uh, it has some great footnotes as well. And it's a, a very luxurious print. As you can see, it has the golden binding as well. If you want to go into something more detailed with uh, more explanatory notes, then this is a good book over here as well. And this is called A Commentary on the Depiction of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And this was published by Dar al-Arqam in the UK. It was published by Dar al-Arqam in the UK. And it also has great explanatory notes. So these are two great resources in the English language that you can refer to. Now, for those of you tuning in, and let's just say perhaps you don't have access to either of these two books, how can you follow along with the class? Well, what you can do is you can go to our website called www.sunnah.com, S-U-N-N-A-H.com. And it has a variety of hadith books that are present on the front page. And you look for Ash-Shama'il al-Muhammadiyah by Imam al-Tirmidhi. By Ash-Shama'il al-Muhammadiyah by Imam al-Tirmidhi. So that's just a brief introduction to that. Now I want to briefly speak to you about what is a Shama'il al-Muhammadiyah and what does it, how does it differ from the seerah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ash-Shama'il al-Muhammadiyah is a study of who the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was as an individual. Whereas the seerah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is a study of chronological events that took place. So when you're talking about the Battle of Badr, the Battle of Uhud and things of that nature, that will fall under the seerah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Whereas when you're talking about who Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was, what he looked like, the way that he walked, the style of his hair, what did he like to eat, what did he like to drink, and things of that nature, that is going to fall under al-Shama'il al-Muhammadiyah. So the seerah is a chronological study of events, whereas the shama'il is a study of the characteristics and description of who the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was. Now, why is it important to study the shama'il al-Muhammadiyah? And I want to share with you three brief reasons, three brief reasons. Reason number one is that we are commanded to love the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as a part of our iman. You cannot have iman unless you love the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And one of the ways to increase our iman is to study who the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam actually was. And the more you know the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the more you will actually love him. Number two is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he tells us in the Quran, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا That indeed in the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, do you have a great example? Meaning that we are meant to be followers of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the seerah may not necessarily tell us about the character of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in detail. Whereas the Shama'il al-Muhammadiyah, it will give a more detailed depiction of who the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was and what his character was like. So you're more likely to implement that. You're more likely to implement that. And then last but not least, a part of our faith is also defending the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And if you don't know who the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was, then you obviously cannot defend him. You obviously cannot defend him. So these are three main reasons why this year in Ramadan we are studying the Shama'il al-Muhammadiyah. And what I will actually be doing is reading through the ahadith in English. And we're going to be using the Imam al-Ghazali print that I pointed out earlier. And then I'll just be sharing some brief commentary. And you guys will have your opportunity to ask questions at the end of the session. 
I hope that sounds good. And for those of you that are following along, I hope you either have the book with you or you've opened up the website from sunnah.com and are following along uh, from there. So Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Qala al-mu'allifu rahimanallahu wa iyyah. Babu ma jaa fi khalqi rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Chapter number one, what has come and has been narrated with regards to the physical features of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Imam al-Tirmidhi rahimahullah, he begins with this first chapter, which is the chapter of the physical description of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now one may wonder, why are we beginning with the physical description of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? You know, one of the ambitions that believers have is to one day see the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in their dreams, right? This is a goal and ambition that righteous believers have, that even though we were deprived of physically meeting the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in this life, then perhaps we can at least see him in our dreams. And when you study the physical description of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you get to know what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam actually looked like. And it's amazing that you, you'll find different sahaba radiallahu anhum, when they speak about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they talk about he was the most beautiful person you ever met. And you never met anyone more beautiful than him. And Allahu Akbar, you know, it just makes you long that you got that opportunity to see the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in this life. But if you didn't, then at least you have the opportunity to perhaps see the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in a dream or bi'idhnillahi ta'ala, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those that meet the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam at al-kawthar, the hawd that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam will be given in the hereafter. And that way you're able to recognize who the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam actually is. And then you'll notice that um, there's going to be similar narrations in this chapter. So altogether, we're going to try to take eight narrations today that talk about the physical description of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and give brief commentary. But you'll see that while there's uh, almost a unanimous consensus on certain things, there are small different variations that require scholarly commentary, that require scholarly commentary. And this was a, a goal and ambition that I had when I, I first came back from Medina of wanting to teach the Shamail al Muhammadiyah. And alhamdulillah, I was very fortunate with Al Maghrib Institute to teach the class, uh, the Prophet's Smile. It was one of my favorite classes that I taught all the time. And in fact, the only reason that I stopped teaching that class was because I felt my heart was getting desensitized to the material due to being exposed to it too much. I wanted to take a break from that. But alhamdulillah, I'm so glad that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us tawfiq. To, to, to share it with everyone this Ramadan. So the very first hadith, it says, the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was neither exceedingly tall nor short. He was neither extremely white nor dark brown in complexion. His blessed hair was neither extremely curly nor straight. Allah sent him forth with the prophetic message 40 years from his birth, after which he remained in Mecca for 10 years and in Medina for 10 years. Allah took his blessed soul at 60 years of age, and at the time of his passing, there were no more than 20 white hair on his blessed head and beard, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So the first thing that this description starts off with is the height of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And this is perhaps the first thing that you'll notice about a person, that when you see them from a distance, the first thing that you'll notice is their height. Are they large in stature? Are they small in stature? And when you look at the various narrations that describe the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he was of average height from amongst his people, but on the taller side of that average height. So when he was amongst tall people, he didn't seem short. He did not seem short. And then when he walked by himself, you would presume him just to be of average height. So he was average, but on the taller side of things. And then it goes on to talk about his complexion. And I think this is something beautiful to understand that when you talk about the preservation of the description of the Prophet ﷺ and how detailed it is, Allahu Akbar, this is one of the beautiful things of our deen, that every meticulous detail has been preserved. And the reason why I highlight this over here is because you're going to come across different narrations that talk about the skin tone of the Prophet Was he pale in complexion? Was he white in complexion? Was he brown and dark in complexion? Or was he rosy in complexion? These are the different opinions that you'll find in the description of the skin color of the Prophet So now how do we reconcile these differences? Well, I think this is where context is very, very important. We know that the Prophet ﷺ lived in the desert and he used to walk uh, you know, regularly and frequently in the sun. So based upon the season, based upon how covered he actually is 
and how much exposure he has to the sun, his skin tone is going to vary based upon that. So if long seasons are going by where the Prophet ﷺ is not as exposed to the sun or the sun is very, very faint, then obviously the Prophet ﷺ will be of a lighter skin tone at that time. But in the peak summer, when the sun is at, at full force and is, is just blazing, as they say, and the Prophet ﷺ is exposed to that, then obviously the Prophet ﷺ will be of a darker skin tone at that time. But his default skin tone from what the scholars mentioned was one of a rosy complexion where he was uh, on the fairer side of things and he had a, uh, a pink hue in it. So he had that rosy complexion of the Prophet ﷺ as a default color. His blessed hair was neither extremely curly nor straight. So the Prophet ﷺ, he had a weave in his hair. And you'll notice in different narrations as well that the hair length of the Prophet ﷺ, it varied from shoulder length to the longest narration that we have. And then the average length was just to the bottom of the earlobe. And then oftentimes you'll, often, you'll also hear till the middle of the earlobe. And his wavy hair was of those lengths. And obviously this again is reconciled by the fact that depending on how frequently the Prophet ﷺ cut his hair. Later on, we will be covering, and by later on, I mean in future sessions, inshallah, the actual hairstyle of the Prophet ﷺ. So you find that the Prophet ﷺ used to oil his hair, he used to part it in the middle, and the Prophet ﷺ on occasions actually had braids. And this is something very important to highlight, that that which was considered normal then, perhaps wouldn't be considered socially acceptable now. So when the Prophet ﷺ entered into Mecca, for the Fatah of Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ had three braids that were protruding from underneath his helmet. And you can imagine that, subhanAllah, someone walks into the masjid now with three braids in their hair. Um, you know, would they be welcomed? I, I know from experience and I've seen, and by experience I've seen, I've heard stories of, you know, brothers that try to grow their hair out, wanting to be like the Prophet ﷺ, but they're rebuked and rejected and they're told, look, you shouldn't have your hair this long. It looks very feminine or it looks disheveled and it's not well kept. Yet we see that the Prophet ﷺ, he had that. So it's also important to understand that context of there are certain things that were socially acceptable then but aren't now. And when you're trying to be like the Prophet ﷺ, the important thing to have is knowledge. And you should be accommodating of people and making sure that you're speaking to people based upon true guidance and not just making things based up uh, from your own accord and your own desire. And then it goes on to say that Allah sent him forth with the prophetic message 40 years from his birth. Meaning that the Prophet ﷺ was 40 years old when he received revelation. So he was 40 years old when he received revelation. And in fact, all of the prophets, they received revelation around this time. They received revelation around this time. There's some dispute as to how old Isa ﷺ was when he received revelation. Uh, but the average age that the, scholar, that the scholars mentioned that's, that Prophets received revelation was 40 years old. And this was due to the fact that you had enough experience in your life and you reached the peak of your maturity during that time in terms of experiencing death and loss and grief and happiness and joy and all the range of emotions. And therefore, you are now ready to receive that revelation and impart it upon people as well based upon that experience. So the Prophet ﷺ was 40 years old when he received revelation in Mecca. And you all know the story of that is reported in Sahih al-Bukhari that the first set of revelation revealed to the Prophet was none other than Surah Al-Alaq uh, from Juz Amma. Now, this is where things get interesting. Uh, the hadith goes on to mention, after which he remained in Mecca for 10 years. So why is 10 years mentioned? Because didn't the Prophet stay in Mecca for 13 years and then he went to Medina? Is that not what actually happened? <clears throat> and this is where, you know, studying hadith in particular with scholars is very, very important. Because what you notice over here is that the scholar will be able to break down the opinions for you with regards to this. So when the term 10 is mentioned in this hadith, there are two main interpretations. Interpretation number one is that they're differentiating between the time when the Prophet ﷺ was a Nabi and when the Prophet ﷺ was a Rasul. What is the difference between the two? Nabi is, where, is anyone that receives revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you are basically following the revelation of the people before you and you haven't really been told to warn your people and advise them with a new form of guidance yet. 
They're just told to continue following the guidance of the previous prophet having received revelation. So this is who a Nabi is. A Rasul, uh, according to the scholars, is someone that has been given revelation by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and has also been given something new to follow. So it's not just a continuation uh, from the revelations of the past. Another um, addition that scholars mention is that the Rasul has his people turn against him, whereas the Nabi does not necessarily have the people turn against him. So for the first three years, when the Prophet ﷺ kept the da'wah and revelation very secret, he was considered a Nabi. Whereas after the first three years, when he started openly proclaiming it to the people, that is when he became a Rasul. And he say, the scholars mentioned that this, came, this happened with Ya Yuhal Muddathir Qum Fa'anthir. That the first revelation of Iqra made the Prophet ﷺ a Nabi. But when Surah Al-Muddathir came down, that is when the Prophet ﷺ became a Rasul because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Qum fa'anthir, that stand and warn the people. That is when he became a messenger. So this is opinion number one, that we differentiate between the times of when he was a prophet and when he was a messenger. And this hadith is specifically referring to the years of, uh, of messengership. When he was a Rasul, those were only 10 years. Another opinion is, and this is, is consistent with the hadith, that what the narrator of the hadith is actually doing is that he rounds off the number. He rounds off the number. So you notice that when he talks about the time in Mecca, he says 10. The time in Medina, he says 10. And when he says the Prophet ﷺ passed away, he mentions 60. Whereas in reality, when we know the Prophet ﷺ passed away, he was actually 63 years old. So when it mentions that he was in Mecca for 10 years, we've explained that. And he was in Medina for 10 years. So after Mecca, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him guidance that he should migrate to Medina. And that became the first capital of the Muslims. That became the state of the Muslims from the time of the Prophet wasallam, And he became their first leader. So I want you to understand that prior to Medina, Islam was very spiritual and practical. There wasn't really a political side to it. There wasn't really a political hierarchy to it. Whereas once it got into Medina, the Prophet ﷺ became the governor of the city. They established a Bayt al-Mal. There was infrastructure that was established. Relationships were developed with other tribes. Treaties were made. The constitution of Medina was established. So all of these things from a political front actually started happening. So the role of the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ from Mecca to Medina slightly changed. And that political aspect into his life came into play. And then the hadith concludes by saying, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took his blessed soul at 60 years of age. And at the time of his passing, there were no more than 20 white hairs on his blessed head and beard. So the hadith mentioning 60, we've explained that already, that the narrator of the hadith rounds the numbers off and is not specifically mentioning the numbers, but he passed away when he was 63 years old. And then the numbering of the white hair on the head and the beard of the Prophet sallallahu Again, this just ties into the meticulous preservation of our tradition, right? The fact that they knew how many white hair uh, were on his head and on his beard is just phenomenal, subhanAllah, to show in how much detail they actually pre preserved our tradition for us. So this number 20, as I mentioned, is not taken literally, but rather it is a rounded number. So you can imagine it is within that range of 20. Moving on to hadith number two. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, was of a medium stature, neither exceedingly tall nor short. He had a handsome physique. His blessed hair was neither extremely curly nor straight. His complexion was fair with some redness. When he walked, he would walk swiftly with vigor and would lean forward slightly. So in the second hadith, we have some more details now about the description of the Prophet It continues on that he was of medium stature neither exceedingly tall nor exceedingly short, and we've explained these things already. But now it talks about his handsome physique, that the physique of the Prophet ﷺ was a very beautiful and handsome physique. And you'll get into the details later on where the Prophet ﷺ, he had broad shoulders, he had full joints, uh, he had a fair amount of flesh on his body. And you can see in from certain actions that the Prophet ﷺ was actually very physically strong. The Prophet ﷺ 
actually was very physically strong. So the Prophet ﷺ had a very good physique to him. He was not overweight, nor was he too skinny, but rather he was strong and he was handsome. And then the extra addition over here is that it talks about the complexion of the Prophet ﷺ again, except this time it mentions that he was asmar, meaning that he was of a darker complexion with some redness in it. And we've explained as to why that would be the case. Now, the last thing that this hadith mentions, and this is where the extra detail is, and this further highlights the physical fitness of the Prophet ﷺ. When he walked, he would walk swiftly with vigor and lean forward slightly. So I want you to imagine when someone is walking and they're on a mission, they have a goal and a target that they're trying to reach to. You walk with vigor, you walk with purpose. That is who the Prophet ﷺ was. He wouldn't walk just going on a stroll, just you know, leaning back and chilling and you know, just uh, strutting uh, himself, but rather he walked with vigor and with purpose and he would walk very fast. What's really interesting is that if you look at other narrations, um, Abu Huraira who accepted Islam quite late, like around um, uh, the eighth uh, year uh, of the Hijrah or so, he was relatively young and the Prophet at that time was relatively old. You can imagine 60 years old. And Abu Huraira is mentioning that at 60 years old, when the Prophet would walk, the Sahaba would have difficulty keeping up with him. So at 60 years old, the Prophet is in such good shape that he is able to walk at such a pace, which is normal and regular for him. Whereas for the Sahaba, they would struggle. They'd have to like jog a little bit, catch up to the Prophet And this shows you the level of physical fitness that the Prophet was in. Now, um, it mentions that he used to lean forward uh, a little bit. And the scholars mentioned that this was due to the fact that the Prophet ﷺ took larger steps. So the Prophet ﷺ didn't take many small steps, but he took fewer larger steps, which allowed him to walk uh, even quicker. And this further alludes to the point of the height of the Prophet ﷺ, where we mentioned that he was of average height, but on the taller side. And due to his height, this allowed him to take those larger steps. This allowed him to take those larger steps. Hadith number three. The Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was a man of medium stature. His blessed shoulders were broad. He had a full head of hair that would reach his blessed earlobes. He was wearing two red garments. I have never seen anything more beautiful than him Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So in this third hadith, it continues on that he was a man of medium stature. His blessed shoulders were broad. And this is something to highlight that when the Arabs of the past used to talk about broad shoulders, it's similar to the English language that when you say that someone has broad shoulders, you're not necessarily just commenting on their physical physique, but you're commenting on their ability to carry burden, to carry hardship and calamity. So when the Arabs used to refer to broad shoulders, this was referring to the Prophet ﷺ, uh, being generous and being of upright character uh, and being just. Those were all depictions that were used when the term broad shoulders were used. So physically, yes, he did have very broad shoulders. And he was very strong, but also in terms of his character when broad shoulders was used, it was used to uh, highlight his ability to carry burden and to carry trust and to carry trust. Um, you know, that's who the Prophet ﷺ was. So that is what the broadness of the shoulders highlights over here. He had a full head of hair, hair that was Jumma, meaning that the Prophet ﷺ didn't have bald spots in his hair. So he wasn't someone that... You know, as you start getting older, your hair starts thinning out and you start becoming bald. No, that's not what the Prophet ﷺ had. But rather the Prophet ﷺ had a full set of hair. And as we mentioned, the three lengths that are mentioned are either to the shoulders, to the bottom of the earlobe, or to the middle of the earlobe. And this one um, talks about the bottom of the earlobe. And I mentioned already that this is reconciled by the fact that this all depends on when the Sahaba ﷺ saw him. Was it at a time when he freshly got a haircut? Was it at a time when he hadn't gotten a haircut for a long time? And that is why you see these different lengths. Now, something that I want to highlight over here, does having longer hair become a sunnah within of itself? Meaning that if I choose to uh, you know, grow out my hair, am I fulfilling a sunnah within of itself? And the answer to that is no. There is no hadith that I am aware of that indicates that there's more reward for growing out your hair within of itself. 
There is no reward within of itself for growing out your hair. But what can be said is that there is a reward of trying to imitate the Prophet and wanting to be like the Prophet a person will be rewarded for that. And this is why it's important to have knowledge of fiqh that certain actions are not rewarded within of themselves, but they become rewarded due to the intentions behind them. So for example, when a person eats, there's no reward for eating within of itself. But if you do the sunnahs of eating, like saying Bismillah and eating with your right hand and eating with one third, then this becomes a sunnah action for which you will be rewarded. If you make your intention that I'm eating for the sake of becoming strong and worshiping Allah and helping the community, then you are rewarded for even eating. So this is the importance of intention, my dear brothers and sisters, something uh, to note over here. And then the next part of the hadith states, he was wearing two red garments. He was wearing two red garments. Now, why is this important to highlight over here? Because you will find other narrations of the Prophet ﷺ where the Prophet ﷺ prohibits the wearing of red garments. He prohibits the wearing of red garments. Yet here we see the Prophet ﷺ is wearing a red garment. So how do we reconcile between these narrations? Opinion number one states that this was before the Prophet ﷺ prohibited the wearing of red garments, and this is why he is wearing a red garment himself. And this doesn't seem very likely. Opinion number two, also an unlikely opinion, which is the fact that the Prophet ﷺ was exclusively given permission to wear red garments, where the rest of his followers were not given that permission. They were not given that consent to do so. So they said that this was exclusive to the Prophet ﷺ, and also this does not seem to be a strong opinion. And Allah knows best. So what actually does seem to be the stronger opinion? The stronger opinion seems to be that yes, the Prophet ﷺ discouraged the wearing of red garments that are purely red. So you should not wear clothing that is purely red. It is discouraged to do so. Whereas the garments that the Prophet ﷺ is wearing, the majority of the color is red and thus it is highlighted as a red garment but there are also other colors in it. There are also other colors in it, and therefore it is allowed to wear. And when the Prophet ﷺ prohibited the wearing of red, it was rather a discouragement rather than straight out prohibition. And over here it shows that as long as not all of it is red, then it is something that is permissible to wear. Now an obvious question to ask is, why the color red? What is so specific about it? Well, you can imagine that when you live at a time where people are wearing very neutral colors, the wearing of red is very bold and it sticks out uh, and makes you stick out. And Islam did not want people to stick out in that way. So anything that makes you stick out, and this is what they call libas al-shuhra or clothing that makes you prominent amongst the people was actually discouraged at that time. You weren't necessarily meant to blend in as a bad thing, but you were also not meant to stick out that everyone stares at you and you draw attention to yourself. That is something that is discouraged. And that is why the Prophet ﷺ discouraged the wearing of red clothing. And then the last point uh, in the hadith states, I have never seen anything more beautiful than him. So this hadith in particular, rather than just comparing him to uh, the other men that are around, here this Sahabi is comparing him to all of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation. That I haven't seen anything more beautiful than the Prophet ﷺ. And this beauty of the Prophet ﷺ, we look at it from twofold. Number one is the physical features of who the Prophet ﷺ was and what he had. And yes, he was very beautiful. In fact, you find narrations, um, you know, there's a difference of opinion on their authenticity that Yusuf ﷺ was given the beauty, uh, was given half of the beauty of his people, whereas Muhammad ﷺ was given half of the beauty of all of creation. So Yusuf has the beauty of half of his people, whereas Muhammad was given had the beauty of half of his creation. Again, difference of opinion on, the, on authenticity, but it gives you an understanding of this construct of beauty. And how Muhammad when they compared his beauty, it was more beautiful than the full moon and the, the light that it radiated. And what made the Prophet more beautiful beyond just his physical appearance was his character, was his loyalty, was his bravery, was his chivalry, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And when you have that beautiful physical appearance and is further beautified 
with good akhlaq and with good character, you do become the most beautiful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation. And that is why these narrations are not an exaggeration. We do consider them to be fact. We do consider them to be fact. We move on to hadith number four. I have never seen anyone whose hair reached between his earlobes and shoulders while wearing uh, two red garments more beautiful than the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He had some hair that reached down to his blessed shoulders. His blessed shoulders were broad. He was neither tall nor short. So this is just reaffirming some of the things that we've previously mentioned already in terms of the uh, length of his hair, uh, the garments that he wore, um, you know, some of his hair reaching his shoulder and how he had broad shoulders and how this just isn't as a physical characteristic, but it is also a testament to his character and how he was neither tall nor short. Hadith number five. And what I love about this hadith number five. So this book that we're reading from is the Shama'il of Imam al-Tirmidhi, meaning the great scholar of hadith Imam al-Tirmidhi, rahimahullah. He was the one that compiled it. And what's beautiful about hadith number five is that he's actually narrating from one of his teachers. Now, who is this teacher that I absolutely love and adore so much? Rahimahullah ta'ala. None other than Muhammad ibn Ismail al-Bukhari. Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah. So hadith number five, he's actually narrating from Imam al-Bukhari himself. And he goes on to say, the Prophet sallallahu was neither tall nor short. His blessed hands and feet were full-fleshed and sturdy. His blessed head was large as were his joints. He had a thin line of hair that ran from his blessed chest to his navel. When he walked, he would lean forward slightly as if descending a height. I saw neither before him nor after him anyone like him, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So it goes on to reaffirm that he was neither tall nor short. And as we mentioned, he was on the taller side of average. And this is where we get some new information, where his blessed hands and feet were full-fleshed. Meaning that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was not a, a bony individual, where when you shake the, his hand, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, you're just feeling bone but rather the Prophet sallallahu was full-fleshed, and this was without being overweight. And the Prophet sallallahu he had very, very soft skin. Some of the narrations mention explicitly that they were, it was softer than, than silk, yet they were still full-fleshed and strong. So the Prophet sallallahu combined between strength as an ability and also between the softness of texture in terms of his skin. And this was from the blessed nature of the Prophet sallallahu so he was strong and he had soft skin. His blessed head was large, meaning that it wasn't something that you know protruded and was seemed abnormal. But you have to understand that people at that time, it was very normal to have a small head due to a lack of nutrition, due to you know not having uh, much meat on your on your body. Your your you you would be a smaller person. Yet the Prophet sallallahu he had a a larger head that you could identify with and his lar his joints were also large as well so meaning that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was fully formed whereas not everyone would be fully formed at that time due to the uh, access to nutrition uh, that people would have or lack thereof then it goes on to mention that he had a thin line of hair that ran from his blessed chest to navel, his navel <clears throat> so you can imagine that at that time they weren't necessarily wearing clothing like we're familiar with, you know, like uh, a shirt that has a button down or a t-shirt or, you know, trousers or things of that nature. But usually what was customary to wear was to wear a, a, a rida'a, which is basically just a shawl on top of yourself that covers yourself. And then also an izar and also an izar, which is like, uh, you know, in simple language, like a skirt. But in, it's very cultural. So it can be like the dhoti that they wear in, in the subcontinent. It can be like the ma'wis, like the Somalis and the, the Yemenis wear. Uh, or in Arabic, they call it the izar. So that is what the Prophet ﷺ was seen uh, often wearing. And when you're wearing the uh, rida'a, it's open from the front so you can see the chest hair. So the Prophet ﷺ, when his hair is described, it's not described as being excessive. But rather the, the bodily hair of the Prophet ﷺ was very light. Yet even though it was light, it was very evident that there was a line that went down his chest and went down to his navel. And went down to his navel. So he had a light amount of bodily hair. And when the Prophet ﷺ, he, when he would walk, 
he would lean forward slightly as if he was descending a height. And I saw neither before him nor after him anyone that was like him. So this further reaffirms that the Prophet ﷺ walked with purpose, walked towards a goal and destination, and walked with vigor. So he walked at a quicker pace as if he knows where his destination is and what he wants to achieve there rather than taking his sweet time and just strolling through the town. And again, this narration talks about, I have never seen anyone like him before him or after him in terms of his beauty, وسلم, in terms of his amazing character and how he used to just exude, you know, uh, beautiful radiance of, of love, of mercy, of compassion. And this further was highlighted by his physical beauty as well. Hadith number six is the same hadith as hadith number five, just with a different chain of narration. And now we get to hadith number seven, which is the second to last hadith that we will be covering for today. Um, that says, oh, actually, sorry, this is the last hadith we will be covering for today. My sincerest apologies. Hadith number seven is the last hadith. And this is the narration of Ali radiallahu anhu. And this is a very special narration because I want you to understand that Ali radiallahu anhu, he was the cousin of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He was the son-in-law of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He was a close companion of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he was beloved to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam himself. So you can imagine as the Tabi'un, the second generation of Islam are growing older and they want to learn about this man Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam that impacted, you know, a whole generation before them from the Sahaba, their fathers, their uncles, their cousins, anyone else that was older than them. They've heard these legendary stories of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So when they want to go and find out about who Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam was, who are they going to go to? They go to none other than Ali radiallahu anhu. And this is why this hadith is so profound and is so important in the chapter of Shama'il because it's coming directly from one of the individuals that was closest to him. Now I want you to think about the people that are closest to you, your closest siblings, your closest friends, your closest family members. They know your innermost secrets, your innermost details, and what you are like uh, as a true individual. And blessed is the individual that the people that know him speak good of him. Allahu Akbar. This is a, a true testament to one's character that those that know you best, that they speak best about you. Allahu Akbar. So look at how Ali radiallahu anhu speaks about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He says, when Ali radiallahu anhu described the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he would say uh, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was neither extremely tall nor short. He was of medium stature among his people. His blessed hair was neither extremely curly nor straight. Rather, it was slightly wavy. He was not corpulent. His blessed face was not completely circular, but was slightly round. His complexion was fair and imbued with a bit of redness. His blessed eyes were very black and his eyelashes were long. His blessed joints were large and his blessed shoulders were broad. He was northern, he was not hair suit. A thin line of hair ran from his blessed chest to his navel. His blessed hands and feet were full fleshed and sturdy. When he walked, he walked with vigor as if descending a height. When he would turn to look at someone or something, he would turn his whole body between his blessed shoulders was the seal of prophethood, and he is the seal of prophets. His blessed heart was the soundest and most generous of hearts. His speech is the most truthful of speech, and he is the gentlest of all people in nature and the noblest of them in social interactions and companionship. Whoever saw him unexpectedly would be awestruck. Whoever interacted with him while knowing him would love him. The one who would describe him would say, I neither saw before him nor after him anyone like him, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So you can tell that this description, it comes from, from the heart. It's not just, uh, you know, a job that he had, but rather due to his deep love for the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he's happily telling the tabi'een, these younger generation of people about who the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam was. 
And in this point itself is such a huge lesson for us. The fact that the Tabi'un, the second generation of Islam, are asking the Sahaba about the physical description of the Prophet ﷺ, it teaches us that this is something that we should be paying attention to as well. And it's not something that should be ignored. That yes, it is very important to learn the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, but this needs to be accompanied by the physical description as well as the description of the character of the Prophet ﷺ. So what are some of the new things that we find in this narration? Number one, uh, we get to about a quarter down in the hadith that the Prophet wasallam, his blessed face was not completely circular, but it was uh, there was a slight roundness to it. So the Prophet wasallam, his face was oval, meaning that it was slightly thin, but it was also round because he was full fleshed. And what's also interesting is that when they're describing the body parts of the Prophet wasallam, they always refer to it as, as blessed. Meaning that the Prophet within of himself was a blessed creation of Allah and he was able to bless other things through the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when the Prophet touched something, it became blessed. When the Prophet shared his saliva in a vessel, that vessel became blessed. Right? So that is why they keep referring to the Prophet particular body parts as blessed. And then obviously the face within of itself is the noblest of all body parts and thus it is highlighted as blessed and then it goes on to mention um, that his eyes were very black so the prophet sallallahu had extremely dark eyes and this is very important to highlight and the reason why i highlight this is because when you look in a post-colonial mindset and in terms of what beauty is we think that beauty is naturally white and fair in color we think that beauty is either green eyes or blue eyes and that's what beauty is Yet the epitome of all beauty, as we see from the Prophet wasallam, it was a fair brownness that had a red hue in it. And it was something that became darker with the season and lighter with the season as well. And the Prophet wasallam, he had dark eyes, almost as if they were black. And this is actually a, a dark brown, as dark brown as can be. And the Prophet wasallam, had long eyelashes, something that you may consider a very feminine trait Yet it was not considered feminine at all. The Prophet ﷺ had these long eyelashes uh, that further enhanced his beauty. And we'll find in other narrations that the Prophet ﷺ used kohal in his eyes, which is you know almost like a mascara that not only did it have medicinal properties for the eyes, but it made uh, the eyelashes look more uh, vivid and apparent as well. So this is what I, I highlighted in the beginning that when we talk about societal norms, particularly the Prophet wasallam having braids, these are things that change over time. And this is why having knowledge of what is halal in Islam and what is haram in Islam is so important. Because sometimes in this day and age, we will accuse people of something haram, when in reality, it is something that the Prophet ﷺ did. And in this day and age, we will call something halal, when it is something explicitly that the Prophet ﷺ prohibited. So my dear brothers and sisters, you know, uh, one of the noblest things you can do within your life is to increase yourself in knowledge, so continue to do that. Uh, his joints were large and his blessed shoulders were broad. Um, and there was a thin line of hair that ran from his blessed chest to his navel. We've covered that already. His blessed hands and feet were full fleshed and sturdy, meaning that he had very strong joints, yet they were very soft. When he walked, he walked with vigor as if he was descending a height. So think about when you're walking down a hill. Think about when you're walking down a mountain. You know, you're that pace that you try to keep as you're walking down, so you're walking down quite quickly, but you're trying to keep your balance uh, and you're walking with vigor. That is how the Prophet Sallallahu regular walk was. And this is where we get new information. And this is what I want to highlight and conclude our session with today. When he would turn around to look at someone or something, he would turn his whole body. So meaning that if the Prophet Sallallahu is greeted by someone on his right, he wouldn't just face forward and say, you know, Wa salam. That's not what the Prophet would do. But rather, he would turn his whole body and say, Wa salam, and give his full attention to that individual. And in fact, it was considered quite rude if you didn't turn your whole body around to that individual. So the Prophet وسلم, turned his whole body around when he would greet people and face them directly. Also, the Prophet وسلم, was not known as one that would secretly look at people. 
So, so, so you can imagine someone that's looking straight, but they're like looking through the corner of your eye. The Prophet ﷺ was not known to do that, but rather wherever his body was facing, that is what he looked at. So he was not one that spied upon people. He was not the one that secretly looked at people, but rather he looked directly in the direction that he was facing, particularly if someone came to greet him. The Prophet ﷺ would show the utmost courtesy, love and respect by turning in their direction. And then Ali radiallahu anhu, he goes on to mention that on his blessed shoulders was the seal of prophethood. And this was a, a the best I can explain it right now, because there's a whole chapter coming on it, is a particular symbol, like a stamp almost, that was on the shoulder of the Prophet wasallam, through which he is identified as the Prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you need to understand the context behind this, that Ibrahim salam made a dua that a Prophet be sent amongst his people. And Isa gave a glad tiding that a Prophet would come whose name would be Ahmad. Now how would they identify this Prophet? So the scholars mentioned the seal of prophethood is what actually helped identify the Prophet Muhammad wasallam as a Prophet. And the next chapter, which inshallah we should be covering tomorrow, ta'ala, we will continue the physical description and go into the seal of prophethood as well. And I'll tell you more about it as well. Now look at how Ali radiallahu anhu continues to describe him. He says his blessed shoulder on his blessed shoulders was the seal of prophethood, and he is the seal of the prophets, meaning that there are no more prophets that come after Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So how do we reconcile this with the fact that we know that Isa alayhi salam is going to come towards the end of time? The way we reconcile this is that when Isa alayhi salam comes at the end of time, he will not be receiving new revelation, but rather he will be following the Sharia of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So there's no new prophet that will be coming after the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, but in reality, Isa alayhi salam will come back as a follower of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. His blessed heart was the soundest and most generous of hearts. The sound heart, meaning that it was constantly connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, only concerned with the happiness and the displeasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everyone else's opinion was irrelevant. He held no malice or hatred towards any people, even those that had abused him. He would find it in his heart to forgive them and pray for them. And this is why he had the soundest of hearts. Uh, the most generous of hearts where he had no attachment to anything in this life. And that is why whenever he received anything from it, he was willing uh, and easily gave those things away because he had no physical attachment to those things. His heart was connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is what made him generous. He knew that if he gave, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would give him. And thus the more he gave, the more Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him. And the more he became beloved to the people, it was just a further glad tiding of how Allah subhanahu, how much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loved him. His speech is the most truthful of speech. Meaning that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, before prophethood, during and during prophethood, he never lied. He always spoke the truth. And he would not exaggerate, nor would he uh, twist words, but rather he spoke a straightforward speech where he spoke what he meant and he meant what he spoke. And this is what the Prophet ﷺ was. He was the gentlest of all people in nature and the noblest of them in interactions and companionship. Gentle meaning that he was always soft and caring with you. He was never harsh. He never pushed you away. He always welcomed you in. He always had a smile on his face to greet you. He, you know, exuberated genuine love and concern for you. And that is why, the, you know, everyone loved to be around the Prophet ﷺ. He was the noblest of them in social interactions, meaning that he, even though the Prophet ﷺ was unlettered and he didn't go to school, his ability to master akhlaq was so profound وسلم, that he knew the proper akhlaq of everything. That when you shake hands, you shake with the right hand because the left hand is used to clean impurities. When you eat, you eat with your right hand for those very reasons. That when you, someone greets you, you greet them with a greeting that is equal or better. right? So all of these simple things, how did the Messenger of Allah وسلم, learn these things? This was a, a miraculous guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he was taught partially through experience and observing the best of akhlaq 
and it was perfected through the revelation that came down. And that is why he was the best of companions. That when you travel with someone, you want someone that is going to defend you and look after you and, you know, take your best interests into consideration. And that is who the Prophet ﷺ was at all times. He would warn you against any harm that was coming to you, defend you if he was physically able to, to defend you in those situations. And he always wanted that which was best for you. Whoever saw him unexpectedly would be awestruck. Meaning that if you're just looking around and you just happen to see the Prophet ﷺ, you would be amazed that one of Allah's creation could be so beautiful ﷺ. And whoever interacted with him while knowing him would love him. That you couldn't help it that once you met the Prophet ﷺ and you knew who he was and what he did and the sacrifices he made and the, the guidance that he shared, you couldn't help but love him. Because that is who the Prophet ﷺ was. And in the conclusion, and this is just, you know, I think it summarizes our discussion for today. That the one who would describe him would say, I saw neither before him nor after him anyone like him. And that is the reality. That there has, there has been no human being prior to the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ nor after him that was like him. He is the most beloved of Allah's creation. He was the one that was chosen as the last prophet till the day of judgment due to his ability to carry the burden of revelation, to carry the burden of sharing it with people through his beautiful and impeccable akhlaq, through his trustworthy nature. And that is why there was no one before him or after him like him, sallallahu alayhi wa And this is just a, a brief introduction to the physical characteristics of the Prophet Inshallah, in tomorrow's class, which will begin at uh, 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time uh, or 9 p.m. Eastern Time, Inshallah, um, we'll continue with the physical description of the Prophet and we'll also get into the chapter of the seal of prophethood. We'll also get into the chapter of the seal of prophethood. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, accept this effort and grant us sincerity and make us of those that love the Prophet وسلم, and uh, exemplify his character and absorb, you know, all of the guidance that he has left behind for this Ummah. Let's see if there's any questions that I'm able to address here. This is my first time using this phone. Um, so it doesn't seem that I'm able to see people's comments and questions here. I just see them entering uh, and leaving. That's all I see. But if you did post a question or, or something like that, inshallah, I will address it in uh, tomorrow's session. Jazakumullah khairan to all of you for attending. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik ashadu la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa tubu ilaik. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.